I really am glad you're here today. And we have an opportunity together to be able to gaze, to hear, to look into the eyes of our Savior. It changes just about everything. We here as a community are teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ so that as we go out into a community, we can be salt and we can be light. Well, today, as many of you know, you've received some of our uh, mailings or emails and recognize that, that today starts a new series. Normally, if you're with us, we kind of go through a book verse by verse, and we, we try to discern what God is teaching each one of us as individuals and churches. But today, today we start a series, a series that I think is critical both for you and for me and the Crosspoint family. We are going to focus on what and who the church is today. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to focus on the how and the why of the church. My prayer is more than anything, that as we understand who God is and how much He loves the church, has empowered the church, that this will be an unstoppable force in our community and in our world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you just thirsty. We come before you to understand a little bit more of of who you are. Lord, we recognize that um, this week's been different for each one of us. Our journey has taken us all different places. But we get to gather today to stop and to reflect and to gaze into your face, into your word. We would love the Holy Spirit to be so active in our lives that it would teach us and convict us and encourage us because only your Holy Spirit knows how to do all those things. Father, we think of all the other churches in this area, all the churches throughout the states, all the churches all over the world that are meeting and and praising your name and learning from you, and asking you to work in their selves and in their communities. We think in particular today of the Foxley Community Church and and the Edge Church, and Father, the um, Northbridge Church. God, we know that uh, folks in every one of these churches are desiring to hear from you and make an impact. Teach them, encourage them, strengthen your church, our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, my wife Sharon and I went on a carnival cruise in 2009. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been on a cruise. This was our first cruise, and perhaps our last cruise, You're either, I think, a cruise person or a non-cruise person, is what I think. But I will never, ever forget that week. 
the experience was unbelievable. It had nothing to do with the amenities or, or all the activities or, or the service. Nothing like that because as soon as you walked up that gangplank, I do not know how many people were hired on that ship. But I don't think I did one thing after that other than dress in my cabin. All right? We were served. We had unbelievable feasts. They took our suitcases. They brought it right to our stateroom. We could eat 24 times a day. My favorite thing was the ice cream machine. I'm just letting you know. I knew where every ice cream machine was on that boat, you know? And it just was an unbelievable pleasure. And, and all the things that we read about this cruise line oh, met our expectations. It was, it was unbelievable. But just about every day that I was there, I felt a little odd. Like, are you serious? You, you want to do this? And and I have so many different activities to pick from. And we're stopping in a port and have all... And, and it was just overwhelmed. But the truth is this. Is that as we enjoyed that week, I actually had pictures of the church. Only because I'm a pastor probably... But I wonder if our culture hopes the church is a bit like a cruise ship. That we come to it expecting all these services and all these programs and ice cream machines in every room. You know, there's lots of books about the church. And we're going to be focusing. But some uh, include the liquid church, emerging church, organic church, missional church, multi-site church, externally focused church, house church, future church, blogging church, prevailing church, and the purpose-driven church, plus more. Maybe you've even read some of these. But each one of these books seemed to be the best. And each one has at least one verse to back it up. There's large portions of any systematic theology book that focuses on the church. The church has much history and it is well documented. One of the books that I have thoroughly enjoyed reading while preparing even for this message series is a book by Mark Deaver and it's called The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Many of you know who David Platt is, but he's a young spokesman. He's rather on the edge and understands a little bit of our culture and he wrote the introduction for this book. And David said in this introduction talking about the North American church, he feels we're at some crossroads. He feels the majority of the churches are self-reliant and self-sufficient. That the congregants are frightened by accountability and interdependence. That we are pragmatic, fixated on what attracts and quick fixes. 
We like our independence and don't partner well with other churches. We elevate our traditions, our values, our comfort over God's priorities and desires. If this is even partially true, this series is going to be important. We need to desperately hear from God about what He has to say about the church. Now let me warn you, I love Crosspoint Church. This is not three weeks of badgering or three weeks of saying, hey, you better kick it in gear. This is going to be three weeks of looking at our God who has given us a mission to absolutely transform and change not only yourselves, not only our assembly, but the world. So I'm sure there's some things that probably we need to take personally. But ultimately, I just think we're going to look at what God thinks about the church. Hopefully, you'll be so encouraged. You know, I was introduced early to the church. I was, and and some of you know this, a pastor's kid, a director's kid, a principal's kid. Well, the schools and the churches that you see up there, uh, the school was connected with the church. But when I was born, my dad was the youth pastor at Midwest Bible Church. And during that time, he started Midwest Christian Academy and Phantom Ranch. And so from the very early stages in life, I was involved everywhere and anytime those church doors were open in that Portage Park area of Chicago. He then became the senior pastor at Lawndale Emanuel Baptist Church in South Lawndale, which became Emanuel Baptist Church in Berwyn. And then again, we were involved so much in uh, Silver Birch Ranch. Let me share with you maybe just a very typical schedule that I had during my senior year in high school, being a pastor's kid. We lived about an hour away from our church. So you had to figure in that traveling time. Not sure why Dad did that, but he did. All right. And so we would go early for Sunday school. I know some of you have heard of Sunday school. But we went early for Sunday school. Then we had a worship service. Then we went home for a little bit and came back on a Saturday night for a Sunday night service Bible study. And we'd be going through a different book. On Monday night was our high school ministry. So we'd be there. On Tuesday, we had a high school Bible study for Taft High School students in my basement. On Wednesday, we had a prayer meeting or hour of power where we would all go again and hear from God's Word and pray. On Thursday, I was in Awana Leader and we went to church again. Friday and Saturday was off. Say, oh, Rick, you're so wonderful. Oh, my, you're such a godly man. This is... Actually, I'm not telling you to even brag. I'm telling you that that sort of was normal. All right? That was the year. 
And I was a senior in high school while I still lettered in three different sports. How did you do that? It was just kind of an expectation. And then all summer long, probably 60, 70, 80% of the youth group would be up at Silver Birch Ranch serving. Oh. Well, it continued. And as I went away to school, as I entered the college years, I continued to serve in the church while in college. And I was a youth director back then. And we started different Awana clubs, and some of it was up in Minnesota, and some of it was down here in Chicago area. But the bottom line is, is that what I was taught at home and how important the church was and what my dad said was really critical, I bought hook, line, and sinker. And it wasn't even that I always had the greatest motives in doing this. Believe me, you know, this is not a sterling man standing in front of you. But I did know that God had a mission for the church and that I could be part of it. So as I went through and my college years, eventually I went to seminary and And then I ended up at my home church for a couple years, went to Moraine Valley Church, went to a church called the Church of the Open Door, then went to Arlington Heights Free Church, Grace Community Church, and lately, which turned into the Chapel Palatine. All that to say again, oh, Rick, that's really nice, wonderful. What I understand is that God has a special place for the community of God, his family. And long ago, my dad practiced it, and I caught, what is it? Is it just a building? Is it all these activities? God, what is it that you want to invest our lives in? My sense, the scripture is pretty clear, it was the church. Now, our Midwestern culture is changing. Many are not attracted to the church, nor do they see the necessity of church, nor do they put it in their schedules or calendars first. I get it. You talk to faithful attendees now that will claim to be part of certain churches, and they end up realistically, the average is going 33% of the time. Many who go to church are are consumer-driven. And that is why we see so many different people and families changing churches on, well, when their family needs change. I saw this especially when I was at Grace Community Church, which was in Palatine, which is about seven minutes from Harvest Bible Chapel, about 10 minutes from Willow Creek, about 12 minutes from the Arlington Free Church. We had people walking in all the time. And they would say, oh, we really love grace. And I would look at them rather skeptically. I'm going, okay, you've been out a few weeks. What's so great about this church? Oh, well, you know, this church and this pastor and this program. And all of a sudden, they would just beat up all these area churches. And I would look at them in a very kind and pastoral way. 
and say, you know what, my friend, in spite of how much you like the preacher, the youth clubs, the facility here, my guess is in three months you're going to be really mad at me, our youth pastor, and everything else that goes on here. All right? Oftentimes we wouldn't see them again. I, I don't understand it, you know? But what they were doing, and it's not necessarily horrific, but, but what do you have to offer here at Grace that nobody else has? Now again, there are wonderful reasons to go to different communities and fellowships, but the truth is a lot of us look at church for what it can do for us. Let me just share just a few things how what God thinks of the church. God loves the church. He sent his son to die for the church so that it might thrive. That it isn't just something that you do once a week or it's not a building that you attend. You see, Christ gave up his life for people, for us. The church is people. It is not a building or a program. The church is an organism, not an organization. It is both universal all over this world and local. The church is the driving force of the kingdom. Now, as I continue to to describe some of these things, you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I think this church might fit there, or that church might fit there, and I think maybe even Crosspoint has a few good things that we're doing. Let's not compare right now. Let's just let what God thinks about the church rain down on you. The church is an unstoppable force in a broken world. The church is God's hands and feet. Literally, it's the picture album of God to our neighbors. The church is God's vehicle to accomplish His mission on the church, uh, uh, in the world. In fact, God uses, I get so excited, because God uses fragile, weak, imperfect people to move his agenda forward in a broken, disenchanted, and disillusioned world. Isn't it wonderful but odd that God uses fragile clay vessels? You know, the church is critical in God's kingdom plan. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16, or you can open your flat screens, or you can look up on the screens. But I'd like to read for you, starting at verse 13 in Matthew 16, and then give you just a little bit of background on why Jesus said what he said. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, What do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he, or Jesus, asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, the spokesperson, the one who usually belted it out, did so here. 
You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock will I build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then sternly, then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Not so sure how long you've been reading the scriptures and if this is a familiar text or maybe it's the very first time that you've heard it. But there's probably some confusion here, especially if we don't understand the context. But let me paint a picture for you. God's kingdom plans were actually going quite well at this moment. It was about halfway through his ministry down here on the planet. Yet the sticking point for so many people was this understanding of the Messiah. They thought again, in all of the Old Testament, when it pointed to the Messiah, they thought this political king would be a ruler that would emancipate them from, well, in this case, Rome. They didn't know that their king was going to suffer and die. They didn't know that, that life was going to even be harder when their king came. They were so confused about that, and actually the disciples were too. They saw Jesus teach, or they heard Jesus teach, and they saw Jesus do all these miracles. So they had maybe a better view of this whole Messiah thing, but they were confused. The disciples shared much of this disillusionment. So it was a big deal when Jesus took them aside and said, hey guys, I know what everyone else is saying about me. What do you say? Peter shouted, you, you're the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the Son of God. Whoa, hoorah. You know what? Jesus looked at Peter and said, you, Peter, and hear how I describe this, are a pebble. Now, in your translations, it comes out rock most of the time. And you look at this, but, but this is a small rock. I'm calling it a pebble. And Jesus is literally using this term and playing with his words to get a point across. You, Peter, you are a pebble. And it is upon a mountain of pebbles or people just like you who will be foundational in the plan as I continue to build my church. This is huge. He says, you're not going to build the church, Peter, just so you know it. I'm going to build the church, and I'm going to build the church 
on the foundation of people like you who hear my word, listen to my word, proclaim my word. I'm going to build my church with spirit-filled, fragile vessels who faithfully listen to me and proclaim my word. Jesus is saying Peter people are foundational as he builds and grows the church. Now, I don't know if you get goosebumps about that, but that gives me great energy. I can't believe it. You mean the guy that kind of like denies you sometimes, the guy that doesn't really trust you, the guy that, that's the guy? The guy that just a few weeks after you leave goes and he goes back to fishing? Like he's the guy that's going to build your church? You're not using all the professional ones. You're not using all the smart ones. You're not using all the strong ones. You're not using all those educated ones. You're using guys like Peter? Yes. Yes. That's what he's saying. Now, the Apostle Paul further develops this. Remember, this is Jesus talking to a group of people, trying to help them understand kingdom work and breaking in just this, this news to them. And then we had the book of Acts, which we're going to actually go back to in just a little bit. But the Apostle Paul, all the way through, later on, in his epistles, talk about the church. And he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and, and Paul writes this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That alone just about blew a gasket in the early church. All right? Gentiles? Seriously. At least God should just use the Jews. No, Gentiles. You were citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joining together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Here's another metaphor of what the church is. But the foundation, again, are the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus said this as he was talking to Peter. No power or movement will ever conquer my church. And because he's the architect. He's the leader. It's not about us. It's about him. He says my church will have the keys, the authority in the kingdom. The church will be able to move forward and do things that you had never even imagined. Because Jesus is the head. John MacArthur said this at this moment. He said, The Lord here gives a message of great hope to a maligned, beleaguered, rejected, persecuted, and ignoble people of God in every age. In the end, there is a glorious purpose and victory because they belong to the indomitable, 
an eternal church that Jesus Christ himself is building. You see, we are focusing today on the church, which is a gathering of God's people. The term used in the New Testament is ecclesia. just simply means called out ones. The called out ones. In fact, at this time in the first century, it was just a term given to civic gatherings. Wasn't anything even special at the moment. But clusters of God-fearing people have always been part of God's plan from the beginning. Jesus taught much about the kingdom and warned even in his last time with the disciples that, that a Holy Spirit was going to come upon all people, all those who know the Lord, are part of his family. And when that happens, the world will change. So when it did happen, and we find this in Acts chapter 2, and we really are not going to read Acts chapter 2, but if I could give you an assignment to do sometime this next week, I I would go back and just read all of chapter 2. It's not that long. But it's pretty amazing, because the disciples were told, hey, I want you to wait. Don't Try to do this in your own power, this whole church thing. Just wait. And when that Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power. You will have the ability to do things you never thought you could do. Because I'm going to give you strength and wisdom and power and authority. And that's just what happened in Acts chapter 2. These disciples received the Spirit and there were all kinds of folks in all kinds of lands and all kinds of scenarios that were there for Pentecost, a Jewish festival. And all of a sudden, people from all different parts of the world were hearing the good news, the gospel, in their own native tongues. And they looked around and said, what is going on here? Well, God's Spirit is active. You know, 10 minutes ago, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I'm just letting you know. I knew the gospel, and I understood what God did and the grace that he dumped on me, but I just couldn't say it in Croatian or Swedish, God's language. No. Whatever, I couldn't speak it, but all of a sudden, I'm speaking to Paisans. All of a sudden, I'm, and it's just coming out and God is getting glory and people are going and the scriptures tell us that everyone was talking about the wonderful things that God did then Peter as a spokesman remember the guy who denied Jesus uh, just a few weeks before to a few girls you know big strong Peter stands up in the multitudes The Spirit of God just came upon him and he preached and he shared the good news and he explained what was happening. And he gives the gospel. And if you would, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 36. And this is what Peter is saying. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. 
Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? I just have to stop right here. Folks, it's not about the words. Read through some of these messages. They're not so classy, shall I say. There's not any PowerPoint or keynote or any of those things. It's a bunch of fishermen who are filled with the Spirit of God and speaking what God asked them to speak. Then Peter said this, verse 38, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will also receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. Whoa. And all who have been called by the name or by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people. The early church grew in one day by 3,000. Well, the Holy Spirit was a game changer. Same people were there. But somehow, a group of people, under-resourced, under-talented, under-gifted, had the Holy Spirit. And God grew the church. Now Paul is exceptionally helpful in clarifying what and who the church is as we read some of his letters. And I think probably the best two, although there's quite a few different things in the Scripture, um, that help us understand what the church is, is a human body and the family of God. So let's first look at the human body. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, verses are up on the screen if you don't want to follow uh, in your Bibles. Um, but this is what the Apostle Paul writes. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him, Jesus, over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church, the group of people, are his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. Again, God makes the church full and complete. God grows the church. God is the one who equips the church. God is the head of the church, Jesus says, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, Paul writes, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does his own special work. It helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And all of you, speaking to the church, together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. 
Paul sees the church as a united, unified, well-coordinated body. A bunch of parts listening to the head so that it can perform way better than just one part. You all know none of you just want a hand. I don't care how wonderful and coordinated it is. None of you just want to be a nose. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's pretty important, but we'd miss out a lot. And what about all those things that the ribs protect? Which most of us don't have a clue until, you know, you get a kidney stone or something like that, you know, that kind of rebels. Then you learn all about the stuff inside, but all that's pretty important too. Because if the inside's not working so good, (laughs) the outside's not feeling so good. But that's what the church is. All these things, some are very seen, some are not seen. Some are very... Well, looks important, but they're all important. And that's what we're going to be focusing on these next two weeks is why is it that every part is important? And if one is missing or one not using their gifts or one is broken or sprained, it affects everyone. That's why this is such good news. Because whatever God has asked you to do or equipped you or gifted you to do, it's important. The Scripture also calls us a family. In fact, every time Jesus prays, you'll hear Him start off, Our Father. A family image. Well, one of the things I think that Paul did to help us understand this, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, he's talking to Timothy about a church. And he says this, he's using family language. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men in the church as you would your own brothers. Treat older women in the church like you would your mother. Now, some of you didn't treat your mother very well, so kind of like you should treat your mother, okay? And lastly, treat younger women with all purity as you would your sisters. You know, all metaphors break down at points. I get it. But a great way to look at the church is that this is the house of God. This is family. And seeing the church as family absolutely changes much. It does. It changes everything in how you deal with people. Because if someone were to say to you, what would you do for your family? What would you do for your spouse? What would you do for your kids? What would you do for your parents? Well, most of you, I think, would probably say, man, I I would do anything for them. Man, if they're in trouble, I'm there. We're family. Family does that. Well, if I were to say this, Here is my family. Let me show you a picture. Say, Rick, you are such a dork. That's not your family. That's your house. Everyone, there's not a person around here who would say, oh, here's Rick's family. But that's how we often look at the church. The church is not a building. 
the church is, let me show you the next picture, your family. That's my family. Those are my kids. Those are my grandkids. That's my wife. And the truth is, is that, whoa, family's thick. We'll rearrange every schedule in order to serve and to help. If someone's financially messed up, we're going to go find it. We're going we're to figure it out. If someone's struggling, we're, we're going to be there. Because family does that. Wow, what a difference if we understood that this is family. I do want to say one warning, and I do know that not everyone's family is healthy. I know that some great abuses have happened in family. But let me try to describe what a healthy family looks like. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, your Bibles are up. I'm going to start reading in verse 44. And this is how the early family of God responded to each other. They didn't even live in the same house, but they were God's family. They said this, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money of those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, this is so cool, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Because we're all wired for family. We want community. We want relationship. And if God brings you to a place then all of a sudden, well, if things don't go well, you don't say, hey, I'm turning in my dad for a new model. He's a jerk today. Oh, boy. Now, he may be a jerk. I, I don't know. And you may want to turn him in. But you know what families do? They get in the same room together. They talk it through. They figure it out. And their bond changes things. So you don't leave a family because you weren't treated right. Or that family has two boats. We only have one boat. That family has a summer cabin. I wish I was born in that family. That family goes to Colorado and skis every year. Do you believe it? How come I was born in our family? We don't get any of that stuff. My guess is this. God's given us an amazing family here. And we are going to look at the next few weeks on how this comes together and how God in His wisdom has placed certain people here and given us a mission that will be unbelievable. A mission that will blow your socks right off. The things that we have an opportunity to do together because we're family. I'm so grateful you're here. 
I am so grateful that together we can look at what God says about family. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much now for using the broken, fragile vessels. There's not one person here, Father, that has their act totally together. But, but God, you know what's so exciting is that we can listen to you and we can grow together and, and we can accomplish not only some amazing things right here and right now, but God, all the things that we do can be counted for eternity. Would you, Father, change our perspective not only of who we are and what the body looks like, but help us see you more clearly. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.